Welcome to the Normal to Nomad podcast, where we share stories, thoughts, ideas, and conversations on our journey to find balance with nature in a technologically advanced world. My name is Baron. And I'm Elsa. We live together in a 13-foot scamp trailer with our dog camp in the American wilderness. Greetings. Welcome back to the Normal to Nomad podcast. Today, you just get me... (laughs) Elsa's out of town, so it's just me doing a solo podcast, and I've never done this before, so bear with me. Hopefully it'll be bearable. (laughs) To start out, there's a lot going on culturally and, um, like, in the United States and worldwide right now, and a lot of people ask us why we don't talk about these things or our opinions on them, and, and honestly... I struggle a lot with that. I do have a lot to say, and I have a lot of thoughts on the course of things, and even politics, and all of those types of areas, but we do our best to stay in our lane and not go into those things, because a lot of people just find peace in the things that we're doing in our videos and content, and a lot of it, too, is that I don't want to polarize people further. So if there is somebody who has, I don't know, whatever radical views that are more radical than mine, one way or the other. I don't want to push them away coming out and saying one thing, because people are so hypersensitive in this day and age that it's hard to say anything really of substance without turning a portion of the population away. And I think it's possible for the things that we do and our subtlety to resonate with people without having to come out and say exactly what we believe politically or as far as um, different topics go. I hope that makes sense. All that being said though, I do have a couple of blog posts that I've shared recently on uh, the Black Lives Matter protests and then one on defiant obedience. Yeah, all that to say, I do have a lot of thoughts and as does Elsa on all of these topics, but It's hard to know where our place is in all this and find our voice in all of it. But we're doing our best. And if you're really curious what my thoughts are, especially, I have a number of posts written out uh, or typed out on topics like this, uh, current events and um, my thoughts on government and things that I could share. But I just don't want to turn people away and... um, Yeah, there's that. I have a number of thoughts on entheogens and those types of plant medicine experiences too that I kind of, I've written a bunch of stuff in that regard, but I've kept it to myself because I don't know exactly where my lane is in all this. But I'm doing my best to figure that out and I'm trying to find the courage to continue to find my voice in all this. It's a tough thing. Okay, I got on Instagram earlier today and made a story asking for questions to dive into on this solo podcast and I got a lot of responses. Thank you all for your responses. I'm gonna keep your names anonymous this time around and then if we do it again then maybe if you guys say to do this then I'll say your name along with the question. But to start out, someone asked about mental health issues. If I've ever experienced mental health struggles And I think that's an excellent question, uh, especially in our current environment, having to social distance and be away from all of our friends and family and everything. It adds a pretty wild dynamic to life. Uh, Combine that with the political landscape where we have an election coming up and everybody's hyper-polarized. It can... It can make things quite difficult mentally, and that's something that I've struggled with, most definitely. It's hard in the realm of politics. I try to stay out of it uh, because I don't really have the influence to push things one way or the other. I try to do everything that I can to do what I think is right and have those conversations with people and encourage people to do, like, have a positive impact, and I try to have have and teach people to have a low impact as far as the environment and everything goes and I'm, I try to be as self-reliant as I can and always learning but with the election coming up 
it's gotten more and more difficult to stay tuned out of it. And I think there's a level of understanding that I feel comfortable with. I don't want to be just completely ignorant to what's going on, though it would probably be a lot more blissful if I were. I find it difficult to tune into everything that's going on on either side of it, and I wish that there weren't two sides, two obvious sides, but at this point there are. But I try to pay attention enough to have my bearings and know what's going on and have uh, some thoughts on it while still maintaining my sanity. And it's getting more and more difficult, and even more so because I feel like lately it's been harder and harder to find information sources that are trusted and without bias. It's gotten hard. So all that to say, that definitely affects my mental health and makes me think of things that are outside of my locus of control, which isn't for the best, but it's something that uh, I try to manage and... I don't know. It affects my mental health for sure. Something else is uh, just the thought or questioning myself as to whether or not I'm crazy. Because in doing this and in doing a lot of other things in life, I generally don't take the most heavily rutted path. I generally blaze my own trail and try to figure things out in a in a way that makes sense to me. And in doing that, I have gotten a decent bit of pushback throughout my life, and it makes me question my own sanity and if I'm just actively defiant or if I'm blazing my own trail uh, virtuously. But, yeah, that's a hard thing. And then for moving into the scam, for example, my actually my close family and friends that know me the best were pretty supportive of everything that we were doing, and they know that uh, once I'm locked on to something, I back it with pretty sound logic, so trying to poke holes in my decisions uh, proved to be quite difficult, even though they seemed crazy. But yeah, questioning my own sanity is sometimes something that I struggle with, and just second-guessing even things that I've said or uh, thoughts that I've had and those kinds of things. It's, uh, I don't know, I think that's healthy to an extent, but there's a point at which it becomes indulgent insecurity, I think, and I don't think that's necessarily healthy. I don't go to that mental space often, but when I do, I try to catch myself, and honestly, the best thing for that is to just be by myself and think and journal and really delve into what it is that I'm questioning, or go on a long walk and observe nature. And being in nature always helps me get to a more sound mental state. Something else that Elsa and I both struggled with when we first started doing this was asking ourselves, like, are we doing enough? Could we do more? And I struggle particularly with that. Elsa's very motivated and driven, is always accomplishing things and producing things. I'm not so much, like I need more time to churn on the things that I'm working on and I don't know, I'm just not as productive and I sometimes really am hard on myself for being less productive. That's that's a thing that I struggle with. When we first moved into this camp, it was hard to not have the everyday churn. When we were living in the city, I worked in a co-working space for a good bit of that and had a business partner that I worked with for, well, several different business partners. So we would always meet up in the morning and, I don't know, go to a coffee shop or go to our co-working space or uh, just get everything rocking. Moving into the scamp, we didn't have such obvious patterns to our daily life or daily schedule. We had to get comfortable with waking up and not having something to do that day. I know that sounds trivial and like a first world problem, which it totally is, but coming out of our culture of do, 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 produce, 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 and not feeling guilty for not producing something in a day or not having something that you have to do that day is a, a thing to sort of reconcile with, which was interesting. Uh, another thing is, especially with all of like the pandemic and everything going on, I feel a sense of guilt oftentimes because my life is pretty good. Like I've made a lot of choices that a lot of like pooping in a hole, for example, that I dug moments before pooping in it 
is something that a lot of people wouldn't want to do or showering in an ice cold creek or uh, collecting our own water or, i don't know not having running water or electricity to or a hot shower all those things like there are many choices that we've made to make this possible and we live in a 10 foot long like internal space house which is it's a confining characteristic for sure but in trade i've unlocked a life that i feel is enviable and i pity not in a bad way but in like a man i wish i could help you way like i wish i could help you more to friends and family that are still on the struggle and that's not even to say on the struggle like financially even people that are making a lot of money that just feel like that I just see them like not being able to step off the treadmill at all. It just kind of pains me. Well, it definitely pains me, and I would like to help them find some kind of peace. But um, yeah, that's something I still struggle with. And eventually, I have some ideas as far as how we could, in the flesh, make those things happen. But for now, the best thing that I've learned to do is lead by example. Because when we first moved into this camp, I was kind of preachy really and trying to proselytize all the different things that I was learning and way of life that I had found and trying to show all my friends hey like come on I figured it out that proved to not quite be as effective whereas just kind of leading by example and nerding out with people and diving into things when they ask questions has proven to be a lot more effective in helping them find their way as far as mental health I think those are some of the major like mental health things that I've dealt with. I don't I don't think that I've been like particularly depressed throughout my life like compared to how I feel other people experience things, but well, I've definitely had my own battles with things. Yeah, it's something that I'm constantly working on. Meditation though has been super helpful. Uh, spending a lot of time in nature, like whenever I went on climbing trips or camping trips, I always felt at peace and then I would have to go back to my regular life in the city and I felt like I just lost that peace then so that's part of why choosing to camp all the time was the, the path that we chose yeah journaling has been super helpful too honestly cold exposure is a huge thing for mental health for me slacklining has been great just because it pulls me into the moment I think climbing was a big transitionary sport if you will or activity to get me into a mindfulness sort of state or practice or like understand why mindfulness is useful. And then a number of experiences with uh, plant medicines really helped out with my uh, mental space and how I look at things too. Okay, next question. Favorite camping gear. What are some of my favorite pieces of gear for camping? Most useful is probably my little Nalgene bottle. And it's got the smaller mouth too and I just think that's easier to drink out of and since it's a smaller bottle I generally have it with me more often and it fits in cup holders and stuff that's a super useful thing it's not super cool though hammock my hammock is something that I've had for a long time and it always proves to be useful every time I set it up I find myself using it quite often and I would learn like to learn how to hammock camp and set up a under quilt and tarp above it and everything but I've yet to do that and I really don't really I don't know how to sleep comfortably in a hammock yet but I like to journal and just sit in the hammock and lay in the hammock and think about things and watch the birds and the trees another cool piece of gear is our grail water filter spelled g-r-a-y-l and it's just a simple water bottle filter that has an inner compartment that has the water filter attached and you pull the inner compartment out of the water bottle and then put water into it and then you push that inner compartment through and it pressure filters the water pretty quickly and that's proven to be a really nice thing to have on hikes and on our kayaks especially. It's always nice to get fresh cold water out of the stream. It just feels good to do that. When I was climbing a lot, I loved having a hydro flask or a clean canteen. Vacuum insulated water bottle or vessel for keeping stuff cold or hot. Like when I was climbing a lot, I would use it for hot chocolate or coffee. And then I'd have hot chocolate or coffee throughout the day if it was hot. And then ice water was a huge and beautiful thing to have on long float trips or those types of things 
a little hack for you. If you just fill the vacuum sealed bottle, whether it be a clean canteen, hydro flask or whatever, if you just fill that up with ice as full as you can, and then bring an extra water bottle for water, and then whenever you want to drink, pour it into the hydro flask over the ice. That way the ice doesn't melt as quickly and it'll last a lot longer that way. And then just drink all the water after you fill it up. Let's see. Oh, this is kind of a funny one. And I, uh, I'm reluctant to admit this, but when I used to boulder a lot, so bouldering is when you're climbing lower or not as tall of features and you just have a bunch of crash pads, which are effectively like nice mattresses that you put all over the ground to protect you from falling. And then your friends kind of guide you to the mat if you fall off the boulder problem. I would bring a hookah with me when we were bouldering a lot. And you would, we would just kind of sit around and smoke hookah and then boulder. And uh, it made for quite the communal activity and everybody thought I was ridiculous, but then really enjoyed smoking hookah while they were bouldering. So kind of, I'm not saying that you should do that. It was just kind of a unique piece of camping gear that I used to love. Someone else asked what a typical day in my life looks like. It's pretty dynamic and I like, I like that. I don't, I've never really been a routine heavy creature. I benefit from rhythms to the way that I live. Like for example, I might not journal every morning at 8 a.m., but if I am in the rhythm of journaling every day, I'm more productive, have a better like mental outlook and stuff. Cold exposure, I like to, whenever we're by a creek or if I have to ride my bike to a creek or drive even, I like to get in cold water every day if I can. Slacklining is something that I do almost daily when I'm writing. It's a nice thing to just stand up or if Elsa and I are working on a script or even during a video, just to walk the slack line kind of brings me into the moment and clears my mind. I walk camp, or Elsa and I both do, for a couple few miles a day. And I really like just going for long walks. Probably noticed in our YouTube videos, I rarely wear shoes, which is a pretty weird thing, but, uh, I like it. It makes me more deliberate in my steps. My chacos, for example, make my feet sweaty. And if I wear socks and shoes, then my feet get sweaty. And then I gotta wash my socks. And I don't like doing that. So I just find it easier to go barefoot. I also wear moccasins pretty often. Just because my feet don't get sweaty and stinky and gnarly in moccasins. Because they're leather. If I'm not wearing my moccasins, I'm generally barefoot. And sometimes I bonk my feet on rocks and cacti and stuff. And that's just something that I have to deal with, which is okay. What else is within a typical day? Normally we're either, so we're either filming a video or else is editing a video. And then when she's editing a video, I'm generally writing or working on my computer or something to that effect, or running errands and doing that kind of stuff. Then on upload day, if we don't have good internet, we will go to somewhere where we can have decent enough internet to upload. And then we celebrate upload day. That's like our holiday every couple weeks because it's like, oh, upload day. Now we, don't, we can just do whatever we want. So that's kind of fun. Let's see. I watch a good bit of YouTube at night. I'll generally stay up later than Elsa. She goes to bed and wakes up early. I go to bed and wake up later, and she gets her alone time in the morning, and I get my alone time at night. I'll sometimes play games on my iPad um, or computer. I play Don't Starve on my computer. That's one of my favorite games to play while living this way, because you don't have to have super fast ping. It works out having a slower connection. I've been playing Call of Duty Mobile lately, which I uh, am reluctant to say just because I think it's kind of goofy, but I played paintball for a big chunk of my life and that kind of hits the same part of my brain as paintball did, which I really enjoy, like the tactical sort of side of things and like fast movement and outsmarting your other players and stuff I think is super fun. Let's see, what else do I typically do in a day? I try to journal every day. I don't normally eat until... 1 or 2 p.m. It's called intermittent, well, I, I don't know. People call it intermittent fasting, but it's always just been more natural. Like, I feel better if I don't eat breakfast and wait to eat things until later in the day. 
And if I do consume something earlier in the day, it'll be something high fat and no sugar, like cacao with coconut oil or coffee with coconut oil, something to that effect. I try not to eat any carbs or sugar until the evening because I feel more clear mentally and I don't get as hungry. Whereas if I were to wake up and eat an ego waffle, let's say, then with a bunch of syrup on it, then I would be hungrier a lot quicker and I'd have to eat a lot more calories to feel satiated throughout the day. So yeah, that's a typical day in my life. Next question is how to find camp spots or places to camp. How we generally do it, if we're going, like, let's say we're going to a new town that we've never been to. First, we will get online and just kind of Google around and see if there's any hits on Google as far as people camping in that area or people on YouTube camping in that area uh, just to see if it's even viable for camping. And most cities, or not cities, but small towns out west are pretty accommodating to camping. So that's where we'll start. And generally we'll use freecampsites.net to get an idea of what's available in an area and if there are decent camping areas available. And then from there, we'll hop on Google Maps and switch it into satellite mode, either on our computers or on our phones, and look around the area. So you can kind of see campsites in National Forest and BLM land by patches of dirt effectively. You can just see like a circular-ish patch of dirt and know that that's probably a campsite. And if it's BLM or National Forest land, it's generally free to camp for 14 days. That's what we normally use. You can generally get an idea of the like general area where National Forest and free camping is from freecampsites.net and then use that to find spots in the area. That's what we typically do when we're going to a new place and we'll just kind of find an easy place to camp that sounds like plenty of people have camped there and it sounds safe and everything else and then we'll settle in there for a few days and then i will drive by myself a lot of times just listening to a podcast or listening to music on all the dirt roads and old logging roads and look around for campsites and i'll often follow creeks and streams to find campsites because we like to be on creeks and streams especially in the summertime i just drive around a lot on back roads or i'll bike around on back roads or walk around and look for places to camp once we kind of settle into an area and that's how we typically do it and lately i've been using an app called gaia it's g-a-i-a and you can download a few different types of maps one is super for low storage it's vector-based, so it's all math to generate the map, so they're really small file sizes. So you can download a big chunk of an area, or like a whole state, and it may just be up to two gigs of storage space. And then they have more pictorial maps and the National Forest and BLM maps available. So that's super useful, because once you download the map to your device, then it will show... So even if you drop cell signal, oftentimes you can still be connected to the satellites. So you will have a little you are here marker as you drive around through the map, which is super helpful versus on a physical map, there's no like persistent and dynamic you are here marker. So I really like using digital maps. Let's see. And then somebody asked how to find campsites out east. And that's something that we haven't done. But what I would suggest is getting on apps like Hip Camp or Boondockers Welcome. And you can pay somebody to camp on their land. And then once you establish a relationship with them, I assume in certain circumstances, you could probably just pay them cash or whatever to camp on their land, potentially long term or however long term you need to. But we haven't camped out east because from what I've heard, there's not as much free camping available. So we generally stay on the west side of the United States. And we just love the west. There's plenty to see out here. Okay, next up. How to have an uncomfortable but necessary conversation. That's an interesting one. <laughs> Man, I don't know. Uh, so I think a lot of it goes into before the conversation happens. To try to figure out what your 
intent is with the conversation. If you're trying to convince somebody of something, or convince them against something, or come to an understanding, or a compromise, or articulate what it is that you're bothered by, or why something hurt you, I don't know. There's there's so many different so many different situations where an uncomfortable conversation is necessary. But I think a lot of it is establishing intent before going into it. And I think too trying to understand other people rather than just like get your point across or win the argument is a, a necessary way to approach those types of conversations. Because if you're just trying to get your point across and argue for your way of thinking, then, I don't know, it's easy to turn people away by doing that. A lot of it, too, in tough conversations is listening to the other party and trying to understand where they're coming from completely. And then once you do that, then it's a lot easier to kind of feel out how they could have done what they did or said what they said or what have you. But yeah, that's a great question. And I think, yeah, I do have a blog post on this from a long time ago that I will put in the show notes too. And I'll just use that as my bailout card because this, this conversation or this question's tough and it kind of stumped me. Somebody else asked about wildlife encounters. I kind of have, yeah, we, Elsa and I have had a lot of them. The most recent ones were there was a badger, and that's on my Instagram story highlights if you want to see that. But it started out about 100 yards away from me, and it was just running towards us. And Elsa was about 10 or 15 yards behind me holding camp, and it just kept getting closer and closer. And it was kind of on point with its ears up, sniffing around. I don't think it knew that we were there. And then once it got within... Uh, 10 or 15 yards from me it was really close I was like hey bud and then it slowly like dropped to the ground and just flattened out completely and this was the first time I'd ever encountered a badger in the wild and um, from what I've heard about honey badgers you really don't want to jack with them but it was a pretty mellow interaction and uh, I didn't feel threatened at all it didn't snarl or get combative I think it uh, they must have bad eyesight because I was standing really close to it and it didn't even seem to be able to see me and it flattened out on the ground and about just stayed there for about 30 seconds and then finally turned around and blasted off the other way and uh, it was pretty fast animal but they're so low to the ground and waddly it was cute and the road that we were on is super dusty so it just left this path of dust behind it and it was pretty comical as it ran away but that was a cool wildlife encounter another one recently that was pretty wild was a otter in the creek spot from where elsa and i if you watch the youtube videos where we found the frisbee there was an otter in that little creek and that was pretty wild to see because it wasn't a deep creek and it was most definitely an otter. I saw the reeds from our scamp. The reeds in the creek were waving around in a like, pretty violent manner. So I ran down there to see what it was and I saw the back of a creature swimming around and honestly I thought it was camp for a second and I was like what is he doing? Because it, just for that like half a second um, because I saw its back just flashing in and out from under the water and I was five feet from it standing on shore and then and it was digging around in the mud for crawdads I think it pulled its head up out of the water and looked at me and just kind of froze for a split second and then kind of ran and swam deeper into the creek and we locked eyes for 15-20 seconds while it was a little bit deeper into the reeds where it felt protected so had a little stare down with an otter and a badger recently here in Oregon, and those were both interesting. Another pretty wild one was a rattlesnake in Arizona. We were on this sort of cliff. Yeah, we were on this cliff's edge. We were camped probably 10 yards from the actual edge of this 40 foot or so cliff. I had walked out and there was kind of a plank, so it was kind of a big piece of rock that jutted out a big rectangle out over the valley off the cliff's edge and I was every evening I would kind of meditate and stretch out on that plank as the sun set one and Elsa was actually out of town when this happened one evening I was walking out on the plank and out of the corner of my eye I caught the 
shape of a rattlesnake and yeah it's pretty startling uh, if you've ever seen a rattlesnake in the wild it's it's a jarring thing i've seen them in waco tanks a number of times when i was down there climbing and I think they're especially wild to encounter in the desert because the desert is typically so quiet that that piercing rattle just like shakes your consciousness. It, nothing really wakes you up like a rattlesnake's rattle in the desert. But anyway, it was just curled up right on the edge of the cliff in a really tight ball, I guess, in a tight coil. And it wasn't moving. And camp was in the scamp, and he was safe. So I walked out on the plank, and it was sort of to my right. How the plank was shaped, it was on the cliff's edge just next to the plank. So I could get pretty close to it and still have that, like, 40-foot gap of uh, space below us. So even though I was five foot away from the snake, there was just blank space from the cliff in between us. So I didn't feel threatened at all. I sat on the plank as the sun went down and I have a blog post about this too that I'll link in the show notes but I sat on the plank as the sun went down and waited for the snake to go wherever it was going to go just so I could be mindful of where it goes so I would keep camp away the sun eventually went down though and the snake never moved so I just went to bed and the next morning when I woke up the snake was still there and I presume that by me sitting there, the snake kind of missed its opportunity to move since they're cold-blooded. It just got too cold and had to wait it out throughout the night in that same spot. So in the morning, I fashioned myself a snake hook and got a Rubbermaid tub cleared out and wrangled the snake into the Rubbermaid tub, which was really quite easy. There was I didn't feel threatened by it at all. It was It never struck at me. It only rattled when I was putting the lid on the tub. So it was a pretty mellow, mellow encounter. I have part of this encounter on my Instagram favorites as well. And then I moved it like three miles up the road away from the campground. And I, I would love to just leave the, uh, leave the snake there. But I know that if anyone else, and there were a number of people around us camping, if anybody else found it, they would cut the snake's head off and just throw the snake away. And I'd rather just move it and give it the opportunity to continue living. As far as, I don't know, there's a number of other wildlife encounters, but I think those were some of the highlights. And then a couple bears, but we've talked about that on numerous occasions. Oh, here's one. Somebody asked if I was enjoying Season 7 of Alone, which is a show that is, I think, probably my favorite TV show of all time. The premise is you have, there are ten people, some of them survival experts, some of them not so much that they drop off in the wilderness with like 10 items that they get to choose from like a fire starter, like a fire steel, a bow and arrows, a tarp, things like that. And they have to survive for as long as they can in the wilderness. And whoever survives the longest in previous seasons got a half million dollars. In this season, they got a million dollars if they made it to a hundred days. So I definitely won't spoil it, but I really enjoyed this season. It was excellent. All of I, I've enjoyed every season of Alone, though. It's wild to see how the psychological aspect of it is almost more difficult than the survival aspect. Just being completely alone and disconnected from other people and missing your family and friends and everything seems to be even harder than finding and procuring food and water and everything else. Which totally makes sense. Even spending these few nights when Elsa is out of town and I'm alone at the scamp, it's helpful to have our dog for sure. And I have my cell phone so I can call friends or whatever and the internet, all that. But even still with all of those luxuries, it still feels a little weird being out in the forest all by yourself. So I can't imagine not having anything, no access to anything, no people to talk to, nothing, just being by myself. That would be quite difficult psychologically. So if you're into that kind of thing or you enjoyed Survivor Man with Les Stroud or even Bear Grylls growing up, I think you'll really dig alone. I really enjoyed season seven. Next question is, what are your biggest fears and has Scamp Life helped with those fears at all? Wow. Hmm. I guess one of my, like one of the things that I dread the most would be being in jail. I think that would really suck. Almost worse than death to be incarcerated for a long time would be really difficult. It's not that I 
really fear it, but I would just hate that, I think. I think I could gut it out if you're, I don't know, thinking about how that goes. Victor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning kind of details that struggle. But, yeah, that's something that I guess I fear. Uh, I don't know how much Scamp Life has helped with it. Maybe Scamp Life has helped me, or living in the Scamp has helped me get more comfortable with myself. So I could be alone with my thoughts and be more comfortable in that because I'm more comfortable with who I am and what I think and those types of things. But I don't think it's done anything directly to quell that fear. But I don't know. Beyond that, what other things am I afraid of? When I was a kid, I was kind of scared of the dark. Not necessarily the dark, but just like monsters from watching movies like The Sixth Sense really messed with my head. So being in complete darkness out in the forest to go pee or whatever, I guess, kind of inoculated me to that fear, which is good, but it wasn't a super prevalent fear. It's just kind of, I don't know, it's just kind of spooky being out in the woods by yourself. I guess another one too is just fear of running out of money was a tough thing to battle, especially working for myself when we were in the city just to struggle to pay for rent and all those types of things. But in living in the scamp, uh, we've learned how to live much more frugally and live on a lot less. So even if all of our financial uh, like income streams dried up, we would be in a good place to continue living on very little, and we've learned how to do that comfortably. So I think that's a really nice parachute to have in life is just to know how to live frugally and know what you actually need and how to live on very little. That's another fear that was kind of quelled by Scamp Life. That's a great question. I don't know. I could probably spend a whole podcast talking about that kind of stuff too. Is Scamp Life what you've always wanted? Not specifically, I guess, but, and I can only, I'll speak for myself. Elsa could answer a lot of these questions maybe in her own podcast, but Like I was talking about earlier, I rock climbed and camped and floated rivers and stuff a lot as a kid and spent a lot of time in the forest just walking through the creek by my parents' house. Every summer I'd spend days and days and days just walking up and down the creek. My favorite thing to catch was snapping turtles, Um, and they weren't alligator snapping turtles. They were common snapping turtles, but they're still pretty big. I don't know, maybe 12, 15 inches across their shell. So big old turtle that if it got a hold of you, it could probably take a finger off. But I watched Steve Irwin and Jeff Corwin and different characters like that growing up that were wildlife biologists and enthusiasts. And I thought they were super cool. And the closest thing that I had to alligators and things of that nature in growing up in Kansas City were alligator snapping, or not alligator snapping turtles, but common snapping turtles and snakes. Yeah, I would spend all of my, or a good chunk of my summers just walking up and down the creek and catching all the reptiles and amphibians that I could and looking at them and spending time with them and releasing them and figuring out how they live and those types of things. And I fished for a good chunk of my life. I spent a lot of time at the Lake of the Ozarks fishing for crappie and largemouth bass and I got pretty into it. But yeah, I've just always enjoyed being outdoors far more than I enjoy being indoors on like even going to the lake or climbing trips or whatever whenever I would have to come back to my normal life I would sort of dread it and ask myself why I continue to do that why don't I just I wish I could just camp all the time or spend all my time in the wilderness so yeah it is effectively something that I've wanted for a long time is to live like we're living now but it it's not that I was just dying to live in a teeny tiny micro home like the scamp it was a means to an end I guess to be able to live out in the forest and spend all my time in the woods let's see and then the second part of that question was dreams for the future and something that we've talked about a lot that we are working on all the time is looking for a good piece of land to purchase just so that we can have a landing zone and a place for all of our extra gear and a place to have retreats and have our friends and family come out to. And then with the world being in a relatively dynamic state like it has lately, it would just be nice to have that as a fallback plan and grow our own food and teach people how to do all the things that we enjoy and live 
more naturally and those types of things. So plans for the future. Yeah, we would love to have sort of healing retreats on a chunk of land of our own, but we'll get there. No rush. Someone else asked about finding employment or self-sufficiency as a nomad. That's a great question. I think that that's one of the primary hurdles to getting into this style of living. The first thing I can suggest is reining in all of your expenses and pay off all the debts and stuff that you have. Like try not to have a car payment, try to rein in your car insurance as much as you can, health insurance, all that kind of stuff. Just like rein it down as much as you can. That's the the best place to start is to figure out how to live frugally and knock down as many of those expenses as you can. And I know like we experienced it too. It's hard to outrun all of those expenses and debts when you're living in an apartment or whatever, and you have like all this money going out month to month, but just learning how to, I I guess the first thing really was learning how to fuel our bodies, like by what we eat efficiently and frugally. So learning how to cook for ourselves and do those kinds of things and just learning how to eat frugally was the first thing, not eating out all the time. But yeah, I think the the first place to start is learn how to be frugal and how to live on very as little money as you can before you start living nomadically. I think rather than trying to figure out all of the how to make money, I think it's better first to figure out how to need as little money as possible. And that goes too for the rig and stuff that you go with. Have all of that in mind. Like don't spend all the money that you have out of the gate. I think it's better to kind of get something or use what you have and make it as livable as you can and then iterate from there. Because if you spend all your money out front trying to predict all of the things that you'll want in a portable living situation you may not predict exactly right and then you're stuck having spent all your money that you were going to use to travel which is not a place that you want to be in as far as finding employment goes something that was really fun for us that was a good means of income for a while was working on a farm that was super fun and provided us a lot of food like as much food as we could eat for almost free because whenever the food was going whenever the vegetables were going bad we could take all of them and use them to make our food make a bunch of salads and all that kind of stuff so that was an excellent place to work working on the farm was also an excellent way to build community and meet really cool and intelligent people so yeah we really enjoyed that before i or before we moved into the scamp i actually worked at a gear store in kansas city called backwoods and it was just like an outdoor camping, climbing store. And that's kind of how I got a good bit of our camping gear before we started doing this. So, and one of our buddies, when we were out in Colorado, actually lived out of his truck and worked at a gear store so he could uh, get all of his gear for a good price. And I think that's a, and you meet a lot of cool people doing that, that are into camping and you learn a lot of things from uh, the different vendors and all that kind of stuff. So. Working in a gear store is also a pretty viable option, and they're pretty loose as far as, like, you don't have to look like you're in business attire to go work at a gear store, typically speaking. That's another potential, like, physical job that you're in the flesh job that you could do. Honestly, though, I think a lot of it is moving digital, and it may feel like you got to be a programmer or video producer or what have you youtuber or instagram influencers whatever to live nomadically and yeah if you can find a way to leverage those things i think that's for the best because they're just tools so regardless what you do if you can leverage youtube or instagram or i don't know uh, having a blog of your own or a website all those types of things i think are smart but they're not the only way to do it but yeah i think the digital pathways are good pathway to jump on, whether that be marketing. Like for a long time, I was doing a lot of marketing for a number of different clients via AdWords and uh, Facebook ads and all those types of things. If you're artistic, getting into branding or making logos for people, all those types of things. Elsa did a bunch of I don't know. It's really hard to answer that question ambiguously because it just depends on what you're good at. But I think especially with 
COVID going on even, there are lots more remote working opportunities springing up. And a lot of companies that didn't think that remote work would be possible are having or being forced into figuring out how to set up to work remotely. A book on this that may help you get your brain in the right space is one is Rework by David Heinemar Hansen and Jason Freed. And then the other one that's more, more relevant to the whole remote working thing is actually called Remote. And they have a company that in Chicago that is completely remote. All their people that work for them live throughout the world. And I think uh, that book can hopefully get you into the right sort of frame of thinking. But if you're looking for some kind of work and you can't really think of what would be good for you, send me an email, barrenlink at gmail.com. And, um, I'll try to ideate with you, but it's really hard to just throw out general ideas beyond what I already have, I guess. Somebody else asked about dealing with rangers or authority while we're camping. And we've only had, I mean, it's very few and far between that anybody messes with us or asks us a bunch of questions. We've like, I think we encounter rangers more often in areas with higher property values around. So in places like Jackson Hole, where people pay a lot of money to live there, and there's a lot of money in circulation, and people are pretty uppity, um, and that's no offense to Jackson Hole and, like, natives there, but there's, I don't know, it's just got that feel to it now, and people are getting pretty exclusive. But in areas like that, the rangers are more on it, and they'll try to kick you out or um, come ask questions as far as whether you're living in your camper permanently or what your what your story is but most of the time nobody really bothers us we move every 14 days though like we just we do follow the rules and we try to move far away from our last campsite like five or so miles at least and we try to follow all the rules but sometimes it's hard i don't know we make a good enough effort to where i think we don't get on anybody's radar, really. Yeah, I I don't know what specific... I think moving often, like, don't get too settled into one spot. And don't go back to that spot, like, a week after you move. Because somebody... Like, I think more than rangers and police getting on your case, typically, they don't care. They have other things to worry about. But if somebody reports you for being in a spot for a long time... Or if a number of people report you for being in a spot by water, for example, on creeks or rivers or lakes, if you're in the prime spot on a lake for two weeks and then you move for a few days and then you come back to that spot, somebody will probably report you just because they're jealous and they want to camp in that spot instead of you. So you're kind of just keep people's <laughs> ideas of what you're doing in mind and keep a clean camp. I think that's super important just so that people don't think you're making meth in your trailer or whatever, but move around, try to obey the rules as well as you can. I think another thing is getting to know people, like wave at people as they go by. And if it looks like they want to have conversation, maybe do that and just get to know the locals and stuff so that they know that you're not a threat. But I think, yeah, that's about all the advice I have as far as that goes. Someone else asks, can you see the Milky Way from where you're camped? Uh, a lot of times, yeah, and I love being able to see the stars at night. I think if all of us could see the infinite awesomeness that is the night sky and see all of the stars and everything, I think we would have far fewer problems, culturally maybe, just so that we could get the perspective on all of these sort of trivial things don't matter quite so much. I have a photo recently on my Instagram story of the Milky Way and Jupiter and Saturn up behind the scamp. It's pretty cool if you want to check that out. How has scamp life changed you? Um, I don't know if scamp life has really changed me, but I think it's made me more confident in who I am. But I think I've kind of been the same throughout my life, and uh, it's just helped me to feel confident in being who I am and thinking the way that I think, but I don't know that it's really changed me all that much. I, th I feel like I'm in a more peaceful state than I was prior to living in this camp, just because we spend so much time in the forest and stuff, but I think I had that capacity prior to living this way. I just didn't 
have the means to, so... Yeah, I don't know that it's really changed me that much. Why don't we have running water in the scamp? That's a good question. We had a sink and a little water bladder when we first moved into the scamp, and we were thinking that we would probably install running water at some point. But we really just used the sink to brush our teeth. Like, that's the only thing that we really used it for. So we figured, why have a sink just to brush our teeth? Because we can just brush our teeth outside. So I guess the sink just didn't prove to be useful enough to take up as much counter space as it does. And by not having running water, we just have our water jugs. And we don't have any pipes to freeze or anything. So we can leave the scamp in freezing cold temperatures. And the only thing that is a problem is our electronics. But the, the there's no pipes or anything to freeze. So we don't have to worry about any of that or mold growing in our water system or any of that kind of stuff and leaks we don't yeah there's none of that so a lot of it a lot of not having running water is just to eliminate complexity and now that we have the berkey which is a water filter we effectively have water on tap that's like the best water because those filters are incredible with the fluoride filter and everything so that's why we don't have running water but we do have a berkey which is I think better than having typical running water. Somebody just said tech question mark. Uh, <laughs> great point. Uh, I don't know. I'm, I don't really know what the question is, but to kind of talk about my perspective on technology, I've been a technology nerd all my life. Uh, I've liked, I built my own computers growing up to play video games and played video games with my little brother and I've had a huge appreciation for technology because it is so liberating and that's part of what got us to be able to do or live this way is me being a web developer and working on my computer and Elsa editing videos and doing digital art and that kind of thing. So the I think of technology as, as a tool set and I try to get as good as I can with that tool set and enjoy it and leverage it for what it is. But with social media and everything, it's really easy to get lost in it these days. So that's something to just be mindful of. But I think when people are hesitant, like against technology, like when people say, oh, I'm just not good at computers, that kind of makes me cringe because they're such useful tools. And I think you're at a distinct disadvantage if you don't learn to leverage those tools. But at the same time, it's really easy to get lost in them and forget about all of the more analog and natural tools and ways of being. So I think the idea is to, or for me, the idea is to find balance between the two, leverage the digital tools for what they are while living in nature. Yeah, that's my perspective there. And then some Elsa asked, what do you do when Elsa's gone? When Elsa is out of town, there have been... I don't know, five or so times that Elsa has gone and done something well and left me at the scamp solo. And what do I do? I feel like I stretch a lot more, spend a lot of time just kind of sitting in the sun and thinking, and I generally write a lot more. Uh, honestly, I get more done even though I don't, I don't like wake up early and just start getting after it. I take my day as slow as makes sense to me or it feels good, and get to writing and doing all the things that I need to do maybe a little bit later, but I generally am more productive when I'm by myself in, in a good way. Like, I've been working on my book and uh, things like that, and doing a lot more journaling and doing useful stuff, recording this podcast, making videos on my own. I don't know. It's just sometimes it's easier for me to get into a flow when all I have to worry about is myself because often when Elsa's here, we're trying to get a video done or she needs to use the power in the scamp or all those types of things. So I'm trying to sort of accommodate the YouTube channel and everything else. And when I'm by myself, I can just do whatever I want. So yeah, I spend a lot of time just kind of being relatively idle, but I think a lot. I stretch a lot. I generally do like get in the cold water a number of times in the day. I slack line. I go on really long walks. Just the same things that I do typically, but uh, I guess more. And then I worry less about food. Like I generally eat a lot more simply than I do when Elsa's here. I'll just make food to satiate my hunger and fuel myself. And I don't really care what it tastes like or looks like or um, whatever. I just want to 
get something good for me, eat it, and make something that's super easy to clean up. So yeah, maybe I just live a little bit more simply. I don't know. What ideas do I have, or what ideas do you have for a solo rig? Like if I were to do this by myself, how would I do it? I, I'm really, it, I guess it, it depends on budget. So if I was on a tight budget, I think one of the best vans for, or best Nomad vehicles for a solo traveler is the Ford Transit Connect. You can get them for well under 10 grand and they have enough space to where you could live in them and put a roof rack up top for a good bit of your gear. And for one person, I think that would be a sufficient amount of a space. It would get a little bit more difficult with two people. So I would probably do that if I was by myself and on a relatively tight budget. Something that I fantasize about is having a motorcycle and just having a tent, like a bivy or whatever it is, and a little bit of camping gear and living off the back of like a dual sport motorcycle for a while. I think that would be a blast. Yeah, I kind of fantasize about that maybe someday. I think my two vehicles that I would jump to are either, or I could combine them. A Ford Transit Connect and a motorcycle is what I would do if I was solo. And I think something, just a little bit of advice for van dwellers or people that live in a rig that's like your home and your vehicle. If you do that, I think it's important to have some mode of transportation beyond that vehicle, like whether it be a motorcycle or bikes or things like that, because it's really nice to be able to leave your camp set up and go into town and do whatever you need in town and then come back and still have your campsite claimed and all set up because it's kind of a pain to get your van all set up and claim your site and then you go to town to get some groceries and come back and then somebody is camping where you were and then you have to start over again it's kind of hard so if i were to be on my own i would have probably a ford transit connect and a little motorcycle if i was on a budget but if i had just infinite money i think the winnebago rebels are super cool uh, sprinter vans with like the pop-outs you can sleep width-wise, I guess. I think those are super cool. Sportsmobile makes really good stuff. Earth Roamer makes really cool stuff. All those are getting kind of big, so I don't know. At the same time, like just having a decent vehicle like our Forester with a rooftop tent would be pretty epic too. It just depends on what I was trying to do. How do you maintain relationships as a nomad? FaceTime and phone calls really help for me. When we were in Colorado, we would have people come out and camp with us pretty regularly. And that was a really fun thing. Now with COVID going on, I feel like everybody's having to figure out how to maintain relationships without being in the flesh with people. So I guess probably the same way that you're doing it right now. Just a lot of phone conversations. I really enjoy talking to some of my best friends on the phone for extended periods of time, like an hour to two hours on a pretty regular basis, just check in and talk about all the things. Yeah, I've always kind of liked, it's not that I just love talking on the phone, but I love conversation. I like going on long walks with people and just talking about all the things I think that's a really fun thing to do. Actually going on long walks with friends in the forest and talking is one of my favorite things to do. Not necessarily a hike, but just like a mellow walk so that you can keep your breath and talk about whatever you want to talk about. I think that's one of my favorite things to do. Have you ever seen any aliens, Bigfoot, etc.? No. The closest thing, I guess, in Canyon City I did see some stars that were behaving weirdly that I... I can't explain it. They were under, they were moving too fast and under too much control to be explained by anything that I know, any technology that I'm aware of. So that's one thing. Another thing, ironically, was also in Canyon City, but I heard a, what I believe to be a mountain lion yell, and I was on the phone with my brother, and I heard this like loud screaming yell and it made my hair stand on end and definitely creeped me out but i for the next hour and a half listened to 
different animal noises to try to identify what it was and the closest thing to what I heard was definitely a mountain lion. The other thing that I thought it could potentially be is the vixen scream of a fox, which is pretty alarming if you've never heard that, but yeah, it was almost definitely a mountain lion and that was not a nice sound to hear at night when you're walking around by yourself. Yeah, no Bigfoot or anything like that. People ask that all the time and it's fascinating to me. Like if I saw Bigfoot, you don't think that I would like tell somebody about it. A funny story though, some of our friends will track us down as far as where we're camping by looking for barefoot prints in the dirt because I often go barefoot. So one of our buddies tracked us down by following these barefoot footprints through the wilderness to find where we were camping. What have you learned about yourself while living in the scamp? This sounds kind of vain, but I've learned that I like myself. Like I like to just be alone. I like to be with my thoughts. I like, I enjoy being alone in doses. I I would not like to be alone all the time. And I love having friends and family and everything, but I really learned that I like who I am and that feels really good. I've learned how to live on very little as far as like money goes. And I think that's a really useful skill and a good foundation going forward because then if everything else dried up like I was saying earlier then at least I know how to function on very little. Learned a lot about solar or uh, that's not about myself. What else have I learned about myself? Yeah I've learned that I like who I am and that feels good. Any suggestions for men's fitness or staying in shape? I have just never really enjoyed working out like going to the gym because I did it so much in high school playing football and stuff that I just have a disdain for it and I hurt my back in high school doing squats and so just going to the gym brings me back to those days and I just want nothing to do with it also being in the gym the like in a weightlifting gym the whole culture of gyms generally doesn't vibe with me So I don't do a lot of that, or I never really did aside from in high school. I guess I I do a lot of walking. I try to do a a number of push-ups every day. Uh, Pull-ups are super, like push-ups and pull-ups and sit-ups. I think if you just do those three things, then um, you'll be in pretty good shape. And they work out a good bit of your body. Everything, like I'll sometimes do squats with rocks in my hands and stuff like that. Uh, a lot of stretching and yoga and that kind of stuff. But if you're trying to stay in decent shape, I think the best way to do that is through diet. And I think intermittent fasting has been a huge bit of that for me. Uh, the slack line is another excellent tool because it kind of disguises a workout and it's super fun and it's good for your mental too. Yeah, and my mountain bike is another fun thing that I don't use often enough, but and then rock climbing is another thing. If you, if I lived in the city, I would definitely have, and we always or we did have for a long time memberships to rock climbing gyms. And I think that's the best way that I've ever found to work out, and it's great for mental too, because you really got to be totally present to climb a difficult boulder problem or sport climb. You got to be all the way there. You'll fall off, and it's good for the whole body. And it's. Honestly, like you don't get hurt super often or I I didn't get hurt super often climbing as long as I didn't push myself too hard or, and as long as I warmed up and didn't tweak tendons on small holds or whatever. Yeah. As far as fitness and health goes, I do pushups every day. I think cold exposure is great for uh, physical health too. And lots and lots of walking, long, long walks and intermittent fasting. I think that's as far as fitness goes, those are my that's my advice but i'm by no means an expert so okay and lastly what is the least obvious high reward life hack that i've found in the scamp that's a fascinating question as far as gear goes um gear ties are just infinitely useful i use them for everything it's like a piece of wire covered in a soft rubber it's a like a twist tie that you would get on bread or whatever. It's like a bomber version of that that you can reuse over and over and over again and they can hold a decent amount of weight. It's made by Night Eyes. I'll put it in the show notes. But that's, I think, the most useful weird piece of gear that I always have with me, or I always have a set of at least. The most useful hack, though, 
is probably journaling. Journaling has been one of the most useful practices that I've ever found. Meditation too, but I find myself journaling more often than I meditate. It's really nice to be able to go through where my mental was at and kind of like what I was up to at a time. And if I'm having a problem or if Elsa and I are arguing about something, I can dive into my journal and sort of write about all the things that I'm thinking. And it's weirdly helpful for me journaling is in a lot of my blog posts and uh, podcasts and even videos a lot of those come from things that started out as a quick journal entry so we did it that's all the questions up to now so i hope that was exciting and fun that was quite the mental adventure for me and i hope i didn't lose you too much but that's all for today's podcast if you enjoyed this solo podcast let me know because I think it's kind of fun. I would like to do them more. I would like to do solo podcasts more often because it's been hard to get Elsa and I to sit down together for a couple hours and do this. And it would be a lot easier if while she's editing or whatever, I could just do this by myself. So maybe over time I'll get better at it. And if you have any ideas for solo podcasts, let me know. An idea that I do have that I would like to kind of dive into is just reading one of my blog posts, for example, and then elaborating on whatever thoughts I put down in that blog post or journal entry or whatever. I think that'd be kind of a fun thing. That's all for now. I hope you enjoyed and shoot me an email, barrenlink at gmail.com if you have any questions. And also on my website, normal2nomad.com slash podcast. If you have any specific questions related to the podcast or want to start a conversation around those things, please post them there under this podcast. There's a comment section, and that way we can keep those questions and comments in a place that everybody will be able to see them for a long time. Okay, that's all. Have a wonderful day. Thank you for listening to this episode. For more information and links to the things we talked about, check out our show notes at normal2nomad.com slash podcast. If you want to see more of what we're up to, we've documented our travels on YouTube for the past three years and are up to a quarter of a million subscribers. Check it out at youtube.com slash Please give us a five-star review if you like the show so other people can find it. Thank you, and have a wonderful day.